Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Shekul al-Shabbat Sunduchah Arachamah 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 
Working so hard, I keep on wondering if there is a chance I will liberty boo. I'm coming so far, but just as I'm finishing, it seems there is always some more work to do. I need a day to collect my thoughts, to spend some time with you. Here comes Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbat Shabbos, Shabbos, Good Shabbos to you. Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbat Shabbos. Come Friday Eve, the beggar and the billionaire will each have a feast that will last through the night. Who could believe that families everywhere are singing the songs by the same candlelight? Taking the time to appreciate the wonderful ah, things that you do. Here comes Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Good Shabbos to you. Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbos, Shabbos, Shabbos. Shabbat Shalom. When it gets darker on Saturday. I try to bring a little Shabbat in my Shavuotah, in my Shavuotah, yeah, 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 Shabbat, 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 Shalom, Shabbat, 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 Shalom, Shabbat, Shabbat, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shabbat
שמתי ולא ראיתי צדיק נעזב ולא ראיתי צדיק נעזב וזרו מבקש לכם Shalom, shalom. 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 Shalom, shalom.
JM in the AM, Sphere of Format Friday on this May 10th, the 5th of ER, normally Yom Ha'atzma'ut, but because of the concern for Chilul Shabbos, Yom Ha'atzma'ut is moved by the Rabbanut of the State of Israel. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. When you're considering whether you should allow an Israeli flag to fly over a kosher restaurant, think about that for a minute. Um... Mayor Davis and company with the Krakow Nigun. You heard um, 613 with Yigdal. Ure Vanim, that was Jordan and Adam. Nar Hayiti from Kolachai. Sam Glazer's Shabbos. Shabbat and Gilo by Leif Tahar. Yoni Stern with a acapella single. And from Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. Welcome to a Friday. It's day 20 in the counting of the Omer. Two weeks and six days. Day 20. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Kedoshim outside of Israel. Different Parsha in Israel, but outside of Israel we're at Kedoshim. Candle lighting time at 741. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 741 officially. Candle lighting time. We bench Bahab tomorrow. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your rabbi. Sunday is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. To all the moms out there, 57 degrees, 87% humidity, winds are southeast at 5 miles an hour. Cloudy today with a high of 76, and tonight, thunderstorms early and a low of 55. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high 68. 63 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 57 in New York City. As we say good morning at JM in the AM. Um, yeah, what I'm alluding to is uh, apparently, and I'm not quite sure what the accurate story is, but we are making an attempt to find out the accurate story. Apparently, there's a restaurant on Cedar Bridge Avenue in Lakewood owned by a gentleman named Yosef Mutterpearl called the Southside Sandwich Shop. And pressure was being put on the um, Kashrus supervisor for that restaurant, the Kosher Supervision Company to uh, have them remove the Israeli flag that flies in front. The effort, this is according to Matsav.com, the effort to have the flag removed began with individuals contacting the KCL, um, according to sources, reaching out to one of its senior rabbinic advisors regarding this matter. The rabbinic advisor felt that in light of the fact that the store is located in an area of B'nai Torah, not far from the Lakewood Yeshiva, the flag should preferably be taken down. I, I need someone to explain that logic to me, by the way. I need someone to explain that, you know, that that um, that path of thinking, that direction of thinking to me. Because there's a yeshiva in town and a somewhat and a and a supposed prominent one, I guess they're saying, because I don't know if they would have said this if there was just, you know, a regular a regular yeshiva in town, but because there's such a prominent yeshiva in town, it, it is better not to fly an Israeli flag near it. Explain it to me. Explain it to me. And where on earth are the rabbis of Lakewood, New Jersey on this issue? Where are they? Where are the rabbis who I promise you, I don't guarantee you and I don't conjecture, I promise you, whose grandfathers and great-grandfathers were thrilled, thrilled the Arab Shabbat that the state of Israel was founded and declared independent. Where are they to say something about this? Just it's, it's an absolute outrage. Now, we don't know the exact story. We really don't because 
I'm not depending on this news item to give me the exact uh, situation. But what they report is that the, the pressure was put on, the threat was made for the Kashrus company to take away its hashkacha. After all, there's an Israeli flag hanging from the front door. And um, it's so outrageous. And then, um, and, uh, yeah, and and that demand was made, and of course, they refused to do it. But we, we, we anyway, I made a call. We got to get to the bottom of this. If any of this is true, I'm going to Lakewood this coming week, and we're just going to, you know, buy sandwiches and fly Israeli flags in front of this store. Simple as that. But of all the things that bothered me about this story, I say one more time, where on earth are our rabbinic leaders to stop this craziness? Where are the Lakewood rabbis who I promise you, and when on earth do I ever use that word publicly, who I promise you their grandfathers and great-grandfathers were thrilled on the Arab Shabbat that the state of Israel was declared independent? Where are they on this issue? Simply outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. This is a Friday morning Erev Shabbos JM in the AM. Oh, 
Na 
the chauffeur After all these years Our emotions can run deeply Moving us to tears Joy will fill our hearts When he's finally here When the shiach's finally here But we must strengthen our
Pella would like to apologize for the previous 24 seconds.
J.M. and the A.M. Sphere Format Friday, 10th of May, the 5th of E.R., normally Yom Ha'atzmut on the 5th of E.R., but Israel Independence Day was celebrated yesterday, so not to interfere, God forbid, with the observance of Shabbat. It's day 20 in the counting of the Omer, two weeks and six days. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Kedoshim outside of Israel, candlelighting at 741. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday is Mother's Day. Happy birthday to all the moms out there. Sunday is Mother's Day. Good idea not only to have every day as Mother's Day, but to have a special day to um, to fuel and to enhance all the other days of the year where we do so much for mom, or at least we think we do. <laughs> 57 degrees, cloudy, and a high of 76. J.M. and the A.M. and America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com on the NachumSegal Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. want to thank those who've been uh, donating to our spring fundraiser. Thank you. It's what keeps J.M. and the A.M. and so much of our NachumSegal Network programming going. It's as simple as that. We are a listener-sponsored operation, and it seems we have a lot of listeners who like being sponsors, and I thank you all for doing that. Uh, thank you to those who've sent back the envelopes. Thank you to those who have um, gone to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org, to participate in our spring fundraiser. It is much appreciated. fjbunity.org is how you donate. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. We say Boker Tov from Jam and the גליצה לשעה שתיים, צהריים טובים, כאן גוני כהן עם מה שקורה עכשיו. שני צוללנים טבעו היום בחופי אילת ונמשו מהמים במצב קשה. הם פונו לבית החולים יוספטל בעיר. אחד הצוללנים, כבן 61, טבע בחוף אלמוג. צוותי מגן דוד אדום שהוזעקו למקום, ביצעו בגבר פעולות החייאה ופינו אותו לקבלת טיפול. כתבנו רמי שני מוסר שזמן קצר לאחר מכן, דווח על תביעה נוספת של צוללן כבן 50 בחוף וילג'. הוא ננשם מהמים כשהוא מחוסר הכרה, ופונה גם כן לבית החולים. חשד להרעלה הבוקר ברמת הגולן. בשטח אש בצפון הרמה נמצאו שמונה נשרים מתים, ועוד שניים פגועים אחרי שככל הנראה נחשפו לרעל. כתבנו גיא ורון מציין שמדובר בפגיעה משמעותית באוכלוסיית הנשרים בגולן, שמנתה כ-20 פרטים בלבד טרום המקרה. 
באירופה מביעים חשש ממלחמת הסחר בין ארצות הברית לסין. דוברת ראש ממשלת בריטניה תרזה מיי אמרה היום כי לונדון סבורה שאיש לא יפיק דבר מהמצב הנתון כלשונה. הדיונים בין השתיים נמשכים ואנו מקווים שיימצא פתרון שימנע כל הסלמה נוספת, כך הדוברת של מיי. מוקדם יותר היום שר האוצר של צרפת טען כי היא ההסכמה בין וושינגטון לבייג'ין מאיימת על הצמיחה העולמית כמו גם על משרות ברחבי אירופה. כתבתנו נועה מועלם מזכירה שהבוקר נכנסו לתוקף מכסים חדשים בגובה של 25% על סחורות סיניות בשווי 200 מיליארד דולרים לארצות הברית. הוארך בחמישה ימים מעצרו של נתנאל סנדרוסי, החשוד בדריסה ובהפקרה של ילד בן 11 בירושלים. כתבנו יובל שגב מציין כי גם היום לחוקרים לא ברור מי נהג ברכב בזמן הפגיעה. עורך דינו של סנדרוסי, משה סוחמי, אמר לפני שעה קלה לגלי צה"ל, השחרור הולך ומתקרב, המשטרה מגששת באפלה. מפקד בכיר במשמרות המהפכה אומר שארצות הברית לא תעז לתקוף צבאית באיראן בעקבות העברת נושאת מטוסים אמריקנית למפרץ הפרסי. כתבת חדשות החוץ נועה מועלם מוסרת שאתמול דיווחה רשת NBC שההחלטה על העברת נושאת המטוסים התקבלה בעקבות מודיעין אמריקני לפיו טהרן הורתה על ביצוע פיגועים נגד כוחות ארצות הברית באזור. מזג האוויר עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות שתישארנה נמוכות מהרגיל בעונה. אלה החדשות.
הכל ביחד כל הלילה כי לנו שלנו הלילה ים אחד הלילה כל הלב הלילה Correct. 
J.M. in the A.M. with Mendy Werdiger, Hineni Muchan Amazuman from the uh, words that we say before Svirata Omer here at J.M. in the A.M. It's Arab Shabbos Parshas Kedoshim, day 20 in the counting of the Omer. Today is day number 20. If you forgot to count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Candle lighting at 741 on this Arab Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline will join us about 20 minutes from now. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us for the weekly update here at JMNAM. And don't forget, Sunday is Mother's Day. Sunday is Mother's Day. Uh, happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there from all of us here at JM in the AM. Well, many of you, and uh, look, everybody out there obviously um, uh, should be listening to this show at all times. But for the next few minutes, I have a special message for our listeners in uh, Brooklyn, New York as they consider who to uh, vote for in the New York City Council special election that's happening on the 14th of May. It's this coming week, the uh, 14th of May. Uh, that's when the um, that's when the special election takes place. Yeah, this coming Tuesday. This coming Tuesday. Many of you may recall one of our most, uh, well, I wouldn't say fun. That's not fair. One of our most uh, fascinating programs in the last year was when someone named Flatbush Girl uh, visited us here at JM in the AM. Uh, we really had a nice, comprehensive, interesting discussion, <clears throat> certainly about her career and uh, her family life in light of the fact that uh, that her presence in the Jewish community is met with a lot of interesting reaction. And we had a really good time with her in, uh, in studio that morning here at JM in the AM. And now she, whose name is really and... And her name appears on the ballot as Adina Sash, S-A-S-H, is with us live via telephone. She's a candidate in the 45th district for the New York City Council special election, which is happening this coming Tuesday. So I will excuse myself by first saying Flatbush Girl and then more accurately saying Adina Sash, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much. I miss talking to you about how much you love mustard. <laughs> you remember that conversation? Of course I do. <laughs> we, well, we had so many more significant topics that we covered that morning. Come on. Yeah, that's all I remember. <laughs> that's all you remember. I have a feeling some listeners might be that way as well. Um, well, look, I mean, we, we had a, a wonderful time with you here. Uh, I think you take up some phenomenal causes in our community. In fact, really off the air, I should contact you and tell you about a couple of more that you should add to your agenda. But I know you're busy right now. You're busy because Tuesday is the special election for the 45th District of the New York City Council. What made you toss your hat in the ring for this special election? You know, I just feel like I'm an excellent communicator, and I, I just love connecting with people and empathizing. And I have shown myself to not be plugged into the system. I've shown myself to, you know, put my morale before my paycheck, and I've shown myself to advocate for very important community issues uh, and prioritizing that over pushback, you know, pushback from the community or pushback from some institutions. And I really want to give back and, and give that value to the community. I think we need more elected officials who don't have special interests and who really put the people's voices front and center. 
And on top of that, I'm sure knowing you that you you would prefer that our government leaders are good independent thinkers. And I would bet that you think uh, in that area you far uh, outdo some of the other people in this race. I definitely think that. You know, I, I'm so proud to say that I, you know, that I don't necessarily have a political mentor or a political systemic endorsement. I think that's testament to the fact that this is this is a campaign about the people. Um, and also, uh, being the only Jewish candidate really gives the Jewish uh, community in Flatbush an opportunity for representation that they haven't had in more than a decade within the city council in Flatbush, also in some areas of Marine Park and Midwood. There's eight candidates in this race, and... You know, we actually have an opportunity if we all band together. You know, I mentioned earlier in the introduction and Adina Sash, and the reason I say it slowly is because I want everyone to make sure to get used to the name because most of us know her as Flatbush Girl. Adina Sash is with us live via telephone. Um, there's no doubt when you walk the street, I mean, I don't know this, you know, from, from having seen it. I know it just from conjecturing. There's no doubt in my mind when you walk the streets of Flatbush that people have Many different reactions to exactly. wh- to what you do, and I'm wondering if you if with all that, I'm wondering if you're getting the feeling that there's a lot of support for your candidacy among our community in Flatbush. So what I can tell you is that uh, the support is there underground, and the support is there on the down low. And many people, when I knock on their door, they tell me things like. Like they whisper it almost. They're like, "Don't worry, me and my husband were voting for you," <laughs> but but don't tell anyone. <laughs> and it's almost this this, which I think is so incredible and so fascinating. And I, I I'm not sure what to make of it. I think that it that in the ways in which I can be a tremendous advocate for people also makes people a little bit, you know, they're they're or they're nervous or they're uncomfortable because I have such a loud voice and I have such a powerful voice. And, and, I so, and I don't, you know, ask authority for permission to take on certain uh, stances if I feel it will benefit the community. And so, there, like I said, there isn't the usual support and it's not manifesting itself in the typical manner, but I am very confident um, after having gone over data and statistics and, and working with such talented uh, staff members and tons of volunteers that we will have a victory if the firm community bands together and elects me as their next city council member. Adina Sash is with us, Flatbush girl. Uh, are the people around you, and this is something you and I discussed when you were here, are the people around you being treated the way a you know any member of the community deserves to be treated? Your husband, your children, I don't know, uh, parents and others, are they do they, I don't want to use the word suffer, but are they a target of, of certain um, discussion because they are related to you? Or you're proud of our community that essentially everybody around you is treated the way they should be? I have to say that I'm, I'm very fortunate that none of the tactics that have been used yet are very negative. You know, it's more about, you know, there isn't, like, a lot of negative campaigning. Right. Uh, definitely my parents and my family members have to encounter some difficult conversations when they go to school or when they're talking to people in the workplace because people are very, uh, they're enthralled by 
by the way that I, you know, have branded myself and the way in which I've, you know, just just really spoken genuinely and really have just spoken from the heart and have followed and have followed the path that I think will be best for the community. And yeah, I mean, it's all part of it's all part of it. And if if I can't handle the heat, then I would have gotten out of the kitchen a long time ago. You know. Um... Many people might say to you, and maybe in fact this has happened to you, many people might say to you, and, and it might be accurate, by the way, I'm not dismissing it, it might be accurate, that that you could accomplish more with the soapbox <laughs> and venue that you've created as Flatbush Girl uh, and continuing you know, strongly in that vein than you might be able to accomplish as a member of government. Do you ever give that some consideration? I hear that, but right now... I believe we're in a we're in a time of pikuach nefesh. I believe that when we when we're assessing the way our political climate is changing for from Yidin, I to me and you know having spoken to a lot of people uh, who've been around for much longer than me, there are certain patterns that are indicative that this is a time that the Tibor really needs to come together and look out for each other. And there's a lot of hatred that's being aimed at at our nation and at our homeland, our Israel, uh, coming from the extreme liberal left. And we need to elect members of, of, of city council who will be unashamed and unapologetic about defending our Israel's right to defend itself. And the more people we have who are outspokenly against, you know, BDS movements, who are outspokenly who talk, who whistleblow on anti-Semitic events, who whistleblow on the anti-Israel rhetoric that comes from, you know, some very young women from within the Imo Democratic Party. Uh, this is what we need, and this is the time. And Imo Achshev Amasai, and this is what I feel right now, that this is my task and my calling right now. My people need people like me right now. Adina Flatbush Girl Sash, how do people in Brooklyn find you on the ballot this coming Tuesday? So just like we open a Siddur or a Chumash and we read from right to left, my name is all the way on the right of the ballot. Simple as that, huh? Yes. <laughs> and they should not look for the name, and they should not look for the words Flopbush or girl. They should look for Adina Sash. You know what? I, I was contemplating naming my party, uh, the Flopbush Girl Party, but... When I really thought about it, I realized that community is the only thing that matters. So my party name is Community First. And, yes, my name is Adina Sash. It will be all the way on the right-hand side of the ballot. And, uh, Nachum, I have a question. I, I want to make sure this is, like, in compliance with radio laws because I'm the kind of person who gives out their cell phone number to everyone. Yes, That's sir. how accessible and transparent I want to be. And it's not a Google Voice number. It's my direct cell phone number. Is it allowed and legal for me to say my cell phone number? Yeah, go right ahead. You're, you're gonna okay. you're, you're gonna make a lot of young women very happy right now. My cell phone number. Please feel free to WhatsApp me, text me, call me. Any questions or concerns you might have about this upcoming election on Tuesday, May 14th, I want to answer them directly. And this is also how I'm going to run my office. It's not going to be a bunch of, you know, red tape till you get through to me. My number is 917-922-8105. 
One more time, 917-922-8105. And thank you so much, Mr. Siegel, Malcolm Siegel, for having me and, and helping me share my voice. Um, even though there isn't uh, so, so much support coming from the quote-unquote system, uh, I appreciate the, the freedom of the press and you giving me the opportunity to speak. Well, when you become a city councilwoman, make sure to visit us. Don't forget us, please. Absolutely. Adina Sash, look for her name if you're in the 45th Council District in New York City, Brooklyn, New York, this coming Tuesday. She's Flatbush Girl, but on the ballot it'll be Adina Sash, S-A-S-H. And we thank you for joining us on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. More coming up. Keep it here at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with Eli Gerstner and the Chevra and Imesh Kachich here at J.M. in the A.M. I think I came up with a way to um, ask Malcolm about the Lakewood situation without really putting him on the spot. Because I don't want to put him on the spot. That wouldn't be fair. But I think I'll ask him about one little aspect of it and ask him if my evaluation is correct on that one little aspect. And I don't think that'll be a big deal. I think that's how I'm going to handle it as I continue to fume over this whole thing. 17 minutes before the hour, JM and the AM, Cole Ish at Hodo Al Eretz uh, before that one. It is a Friday morning on this 10th of May, 5th of ER, normally Yom Atzmut, but because of Shabbat observance and the fear, God forbid, that an Israel Independence Day celebration could go into Shabbat, uh, the Rabbanut pushes the uh, observance of Yom Atzmut to the 4th of ER. Can, think about that. Just think about it for a minute. Those of you who who are protesting Israeli flags on Lakewood sandwich shops. Think about that for a minute. Um, Erev Shabbos Parsha's Kedoshim outside of Israel, right? We're not not the same Parsha. Outside of Israel, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Kedoshim. Candle lighting 741 in New York. A lot of synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in our audience. 57 degrees, cloudy, and a high of 76. Don't forget our friends at jewishworldreview.com. Before Shabbat, you can print out thousands of articles on a million different topics. Yeah, they're into the thousands and millions already. (laughs) It used to be just thousands. Now it's already millions. Uh, Thousands of articles on uh, millions of topics uh, having to do with uh, Israel and the Jewish world. Check it out. Go to... uh, JewishWorldReview.com and print away. Uh, Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays at 7.40 Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. It's always good to be with you on this uh, Yom Atzimut postponed. How has your Israel 71 been so far? Uh, the, the first day into it has been fine so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you know in the next half hour. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that so far, so good, as we celebrate 71 years. And remember, Malcolm, we, and we said this yesterday during the Omat Smoot special, remember when 25 was a big deal, and 35, and 40, and then 50, and and 60, and people came out to parades, and and uh, and parties in a much bigger fashion during significant anniversaries. And now, already, we are at 71. And before we talk about what happened this past weekend, which obviously is so important, we should mention two things. Number one, 23,741 remembered on Israel Memorial Day this past Wednesday. And I know that you uh, certainly uh, want to make sure to point that out. And number two... Um, we, we've reached a point, and again, this is this is because I it, one of the reasons it's utmost on my mind is because Wednesday night I had the opportunity to hear Rabbi Menachem Liebtag, God bless him, and yesterday, of course, I had the opportunity to sit with Mayor Weingarten, and uh, we've reached a point where we no longer are just uh, surviving and trying to thrive as a nation. We're really at the next level. We are at a level, I dare say, compared to the time of King David and King Solomon, where nations and countries from around the world are seeking the advice, the resources, the financial assistance, the emergency assistance of the state of Israel. I think if one thinks just over the last 10, 15 years of where Israel has gotten, 
uh, on the uh, on the scope of uh, of dealing with other nations, with other countries. It is simply remarkable. And as you point out all the time, when you're in it, it's hard to realize it. If you step back for a minute and consider it, Israel 71 is even more significant than we think it is. I think it's uh, it's very true. And, and as Israel has become 70, people begin to take things for granted. And uh, when there are, you know, periodically conflict situations, so they are, get aroused for the moment, seeing, I mean, 700 rockets falling on Israel four Israelis killed, uh, many wounded, $14 million in physical damage to buildings, the psychological damage uh, inestimable, and, you know, then life goes back to normal in Israel, it should, but we should not forget the significance and how it fits into the global scene. There are now 9 million Israelis, 75% of them Jewish, and the birth rate continues to be uh, very strong in the Jewish sector including the non-Haredi Jewish sector. And the, as you said, the importance of Israel every year grows. And in part, we have, a, uh, because of the administration's very strong support, uh, what we saw at the moving the embassy and the Golan decision and so many other things, but also it's moved towards water independence, energy independence, the fact that, that the Israelis are the 11th happiest people in the world, who would have thunk that ever? Uh, <laughs> he said any poll would show it. They are happy, and they, they have the healthiest diet. They have one of the longest life expectancies. You take any measure, virtually, uh, economic development, um, tens and hundreds of thousands of people learning in Israel. It, it's really remarkable on every front, and and I guess it's human nature, but we take for granted, as long as everything goes along and, and is quiet, and we don't take into account what this little country, you think about how small it is, what it's been able to accomplish and what it means that you saw the Saudis last week are coming out in support of Israel against the Palestinians. Yep, unbelievable. Who, things that nobody would have thought of, yet we... And I fear, by the way... for granted too, too, too often. And I fear that the next generation, the one after that, will not remember the the beginnings and the struggles and, you know, what it took to get here, uh, to get to this point. And I think it's a case in point. And you know, I, I, I said before you came on the air that I would not put you, I, I think it's unfair of me to put you on the spot when it comes to certain situations. But I think there's one little thing I could ask you. Uh, I don't know if you heard or didn't hear, but it, 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 that's not really the relevant point I'm going to bring up. But there was a, uh, an episode, someone uh, flew an Israeli flag, Anya Matsmut in Lakewood, New Jersey, and and the kashrus agency of that restaurant uh, stepped in and uh, advised that because it is so close to a yeshiva, they should you know they shouldn't put it up, and they're going to take away their kashrus supervision. We're trying to get to the bottom of the story, and obviously, I'm going down this week to you know buy lunch and dinner for everybody. But that's not the point. The point is, I said that the grandfathers and great grandfathers of those rabbis in Lakewood or other areas that completely remained silent on this issue, because after all. You know, this is where we need rabbinic leadership. This is where we need someone to get up and say, you know, stop the craziness and just let people, you know, express themselves the way they want when it comes to their to, to their Judaism and nationalism. Would you agree, is it fair to me to say, and this is the only question I'll ask you about this episode, would you agree and is it fair for me to say that the grandfathers and great-grandfathers of those rabbis who remained silent on these issues likely celebrated with tears in their eyes on that Erev Shabbat when the state of Israel declared its independence? It's not only likely, it's certain. And the 
Uh, I mean, it, you look at the Panovich Yeshiva, it still has the fly, the fly flying over it because the Panovich Rebbe insisted on it and recognized the importance. And it's not a political statement. It is, uh, it is a reaffirmation at a time when Israeli flags are being torn down and Israel is being assaulted is a way to assault Jews all over the world. It's a time when, when uh, an action like this has to be condemned in the roundest terms. It's not a violation. It's not an insult to anybody. It's an affirmation. And, and the, um, you know, the, the, the setting in the world today, it's so overwhelming. The anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism, anti-Israelism, they don't make a distinction. They, make, they use these as tools against the Jewish people. And these are symbols of the Jewish people. And to, to, to not understand at this moment in time, I mean, there isn't a, a morning where, where I don't wake up to, to half a dozen complaints about assaults against Jews, and uh, this morning, no, no difference. I mean, it's every day, someplace in the world, but particularly now in the United States, where we have uh, the manifestations that we have. Israel is the center of Jewish life. It, it will increasingly be the majority of Jewish, the Jewish people. It is uh, the place to which we turn when Jews are in danger anywhere in the world. And they know that there is now a Jewish state. It's not because the world changed since the 1930s. It's because you have an Israeli army and air force and navy that will make the difference, God forbid, when Jews are in danger and has made the difference. You know, uh, first of all, thank you. Thank you for what you just said. A big, big thank you. Uh, you know, Rabbi Liebteg, and you, you know this probably better than most Jews, frankly. Rabbi Liebteg said to us the other night, and for me, it was great Musser. I don't think he meant it as Musser. He said there are three types of Jews who care. You know, obviously, there's a segment of our community, unfortunately, you know, that <laughs> the future of the Jewish people is not a great concern. But there's three groups of people that care. Religious Jews, meaning those who you know, who are at the extreme, not a criticism when it comes to prayer and, uh, and Torah study, not at all a criticism. Nationalistic Jews, he cited Datilu, me people, you know, et cetera, et cetera, those who, who, you know, who take pride in the flag flying, et cetera. And ethical Jews who, you know, utilize their, their you know, Jewish roots to support ethical causes and hopefully, you know, uh, work toward Jews behaving ethically toward other Jews and, of course, to non-Jews as well. And uh, he said to us, when those three groups learn to get along and to progress together, that is when we will be able to thrive as a Jewish nation. And I took that to heart and I, and, I, and I do acknowledge, and I'm the first one to acknowledge that sometimes I really you know, have tremendous ire toward those in certain categories who behave a certain way, as people heard this morning when I told the Lakewood story. But you know this better than anybody else. If we can appreciate the passion that all three groups have, and work with everybody and acknowledge that, yes, that is a legitimate manner of serving God and the Jewish people, and let's move forward together, we would be much better off. We're always better off when Jews can come together and demonstrate achdut, even where there are differences. That's, you don't need unity if there are no differences. Everybody agrees and believes the same thing and acts the same way. Then, by definition, you have unity or homogeneity. Unity is not homogeneity. It's not conformity. Unity means that we're able to look at the differences and accept them and deal with them. It doesn't mean that you compromise on principle and certainly on halacha. It means that you recognize that we are one people and that we have our differences within. We try to educate, we reach out, but the the 
idea that that today we can afford the kind of divisions and you see young Jews on campuses joining the anti-Israel and sometimes even uh, worse uh, expressions that should be a wake-up call to all of us. We need everyone. We're too few and too small to to write off segments of of the Jewish people. And what about those few Jewish students who stand at tables in their at their college campuses describing to people what Israel's really like and defending the cause and being there to explain in a very respectful and careful manner what Israel is really like. You have to admit those students are heroic because they are taking a position that's not very popular on college campuses. Increasingly more and more heroic in the course of this week where you saw in Williams College that the students who wanted to organize a pro-Israel group were were denied permission, were denied recognition by the university, that you have pro-Israel faculty not Jewish who who have expressed themselves, like Professor Hill at uh, DePaul University, who who's a Jamaican-born American, 23 years a professor of philosophy, and, and is being threatened, the president of Fitzer College, because he refused to break ties with Israel. Um, the, the president of Cornell courageously standing up, and we've seen it uh, across the country. But the other side of, of literally physical assaults against Jews uh, and Jewish students, even if they're not um, uh, manning a table in support of Israel, Wearing a yarmulke is enough. Look at the assaults on, on people in Brooklyn. Look at the and this is happening across the country, not in in as great a number and frequency as in Brooklyn. And the more visible Jews are, the more they are are perhaps a target. But wearing a yarmulke on a campus is enough reason. And and wearing a, a mug and David or or some other uh, symbol. And increasingly, students are refraining from doing so because of of uh, the fear that's instilled in them uh, by the events that that are happening. And most people don't bother to read what what the, how sharp the growth is. You know, in New York City, we've had uh, almost as many incidents as uh, a big part of last year, and 57% of hate crimes are against Jews. The the um, and nationally, the the statistics are also uh, growing. And you saw uh, a Holocaust memorial uh, service interrupted or program interrupted uh, by 12 guys marching with with swastikas and and uh, neo-Nazi uniforms and and the same thing that's in the U.S. Let alone in Germany, let alone in other countries uh, where we become accustomed to these happenings. We're we're not used to it being here yet. Right. And even the world's reaction to the fact that that innocent civilians came under 700 rockets, a clear violation of international law, across an international boundary. They portray it as if Israel is still the, quote, occupier, when there's not a single Israeli soldier inside Gaza. That Israel demonstrated such incredible restraint, still giving warnings before they drop on, still alerting and and uh, that uh, in hundreds and hundreds of raids, you had such a limited number of casualties. Um, and unfortunately, the, the rockets uh, put, used, the, the terrorists used the people there as human shields, which is another war crime. Uh, and yet the outcry and the cartoons that we've seen and the other uh, expressions, the fact that of the Democratic candidates, only three, I think, have come out with statements recognizing even just Israel's right to defend itself, let alone a stronger uh, uh, statement. Many members of Congress from both sides of the aisle did, Democrats and Republicans, the administration certainly did. Um, The Arab countries, many of them did. 
Even the EU came out about Israel's right to defend itself. But if, if, if that becomes a difficult statement for people at a time like this, like, like we experienced last week, it tells you that we have a fundamental problem. And it, it, it goes beyond Israel. It's, it's really about anti-Semitism guised as, quote, anti-Zionism or anti-Israelism. But Jew hatred is becoming the commonplace. No question about it. And by the way, on the protest issue, I'm, I'm still much more worried about the college campus than the 12 white supremacists, but I certainly agree with you that they're both horrible and they both must be stopped. Uh, that's for sure. And, uh, and, and this, on this last point you just made, this, the, the beloved Democratic Party of the Jewish people, and as you just indicated, a minority, a significant minority, even reacted in terms of the presidential candidates from that party, reacted to what happened uh, to our Israeli brethren this past weekend. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. We are in the midst of our spring fundraiser, as we do every year. We are listener-supported, as we indicate, every single day. Uh, those of you who've returned uh, the envelopes that we sent to you, we say thank you, thank you. Those of you who've gone to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org to support us during 2019, we say thank you, thank you, and please encourage those around you to do the same. All right, I mean, you've uh, you've told us a lot already about this past weekend, but let's just go through a couple of things. Uh, we know four people were killed, and it was the worst um, a barrage of rockets since the war of 2014. What lessons, if any, did we learn, because I don't know if, if we could say anything conclusive about it, and, and you could give us much better insight. What lessons, if any, did we learn about Iron Dome this past weekend? Uh, I think there are many. For, for one thing, you know, in one hour there were 117 rockets fired at Ashdod in, a, in an attempt to overwhelm Iron Dome. Only one missile made it past the air defense system. Uh, the Iron Dome radar detected every launch and was able then to give warnings of an incoming missile, and so sirens could be sounded. As you know, you don't have a lot of time. You have half a minute or, or even less sometimes to get to a shelter, but having that early warning and having that time can can save a, a lot of lives. Uh, unfortunately, you know, one of the people killed was driving on a road in a, a rocket uh, that managed to get through and was supposed to land in an open area. The vast majority of the rockets did that. Ninety of them hit inside Gaza itself. Oh, wow. And the woman and her, the baby that were killed supposedly by Israel, it admits itself to Palestinian Islamic Jihad, admits in a public in, in statements that they were the ones who carried out the it was one of their missiles that killed them because they're using a new missile that is shorter but with a heavier warload, but uh, payload. But they weren't able to get many of them over the fence into Israel, so they landed inside Gaza and they offered compensation to the family of the woman. And yet the media quickly jumped and blamed Israel for it. Each time Iron Dome is fired, it costs eighty thousand dollars. And when you talk about David Sling being involved, you, you, the, the cost goes up to two million. And the so the um, uh, when you know that there are Pidge has about eight thousand missiles, mostly short and medium range, maybe a couple hundred of long range, and Hamas has uh, several thousand uh, hundreds of rockets that have a hundred kilometer range, which is sixty some miles, sixty two miles, um, and you know, their, their rockets cost virtually nothing to produce. 
Most of them don't have guidance systems, which is why they, they don't land uh, in, more in urban areas, but in open areas. They still may do damage. They still may set a fire. They still can hit a house. Uh, $14 million in damage to houses and to cars. Wow. Uh, and that, you know, physical damage, and that's just in the claims that have been made uh, uh, so far. So the lesson is that Iron Dome works. The hope is that there will be a, another way developed. Uh, I know that there is an American company working on radar laser uh, responses, which would cost a, a small fraction of what Iron Dome costs. And um, Israel is, is now in discussions with that company to, to advance its uh, the production of the of this this kind of uh, air defense system, uh, and um, you know, people again do not talk about what Israel was responded to, how it started, which was the shooting at Israeli soldiers in an attempt to hit, we believe, the commander of the Southern Gaza division, and that the um, and Israel responded. They escalated it, whether they were waiting for the opportunity before Eurovision, before Yom Atzmut, before uh, Ramadan. They did not want this fighting to go into the month of Ramadan, which began on, on Rosh Chodesh on Sunday night. Um, and the... the um, uh, the situation, they escalated it constantly, using civilians as shields, putting launchers, as you could see on the Internet, inside a mosque. You could see the launcher in the balcony of the mosque and using it to store weapons. They hit the homes of, of uh, many of the leaders, uh, especially those that had weapons uh, stashed there. You can see the explosions, but they still, again, gave warning in advance to, to avoid civilian casualties and to, to uh, the knock on the roof and other means that they have leafleting to say that, that what a, a target uh, was going to be. Uh, still, they hit, for the first time again, some targeted assassinations of, uh, of terrorist leaders and some of the guys who were in charge of, the, of launching the missiles. Um, but the casualty numbers speak for themselves that they are so limited. You mentioned Ramadan. Uh, just take us for a minute through the strategy of the enemy for a second, because, I mean, this is, again, the largest barrage in five years, et cetera, et cetera, and so many of us are familiar with the news from that last weekend. But, I mean, if, if let's say, I, I, first of all, the whole Ramadan argument is, is so absurd. You know, we're, we're worried about the holy, the holy month for people who are, you know, attacking another country. The whole thing is crazy. But anyway... Uh, without getting into that for a moment, is that is that what the timing is all about? Is is that is that the main reason why they chose last weekend because they knew that Israel facing world criticism would not be able to take this past Sunday night? No, I think that that they wanted to end as they went into Ramadan because it's a very tense, you know, people fast all day. It's, it would be a difficult time to carry out, to continue to carry out their assaults. Um, but and I'm, so I was only talking about the termination point of wanting to end it. Right. But I'm asking before, but, but the begin, the timing of it, um, was a number. There are a number of factors that go into it. One is what does Iran want? Remember that Iran is still pulling the strings on this, and if they want to divert attention, if they wanted to create some people believe that they wanted to draw Israel into Gaza, uh, and, and they wanted a ground invasion, tying up the troops, and they could have had a freer hand in Syria, where they obviously have things they want to do, and they're still trying to attack, get near the Golan. And if they saw that Israel 
if they could divert Israel's attention away from there and its resources, then they felt they might have a freer hand. And we can talk about some of the developments there that got little attention this week, but are obviously of of uh, great importance. They they did want to hit Eurovision. They talk about it all the time, and you know we have more and more evidence of how extensive the campaign on Eurovision was, involving official agencies that have been created by the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian Campaign for Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel, which is based in Ramallah, and uh, PACBI and others uh, uh, are part of the BNC. I won't go into all of the acronyms and what, what these things mean, but they they use different schemes a deceptive message, including bots and trolls and fake accounts, where they were able to manufacture uh, a, a fake response as protests against uh, Eurovision and did it in many countries from Europe to Egypt to Indonesia, right. uh, uh, all over. But, but, um, so understand that there's a lot of things that go into the Hezbollah that we may I'm, not see. But, but I'm at, them, but, but, oh, why would they do it for Eurovision? Right. Because they want to hurt Israel, and they thought if they could get it canceled, that it would be a victory. Second, you have the competition between Pigeon and uh, Hamas, and mostly you have the disaffection of the people. They're angry. They're angry about the economic conditions, that they haven't gotten paid, that the money was uh, cut off. It's now been restored by uh, gutters giving $48 million and um uh, other monies will be, be forthcoming that Israel restricted the fishing um, distance because of, uh, of some of the attacks that were taking place. That has now been restored as well. But I'm asking this question from the other angle. If there was no Ramadan, would Israel have acted more strongly? And in the middle of this week, would they have, in fact, intensified the attack on Gaza? If not for the Islamic holiday to worry about, would Israel have advanced further and retaliated much more strongly than compared to what they did? No, I don't think that Israel's schedule was dictated by uh, Ramadan. Obviously, they're sensitive to the fact that this is the week. But it, I was talking about the other side right. was the one that was sensitive uh, to Ramadan. Look, Israel has to wait very carefully. People kept saying, why don't they just bring in tanks? Why don't they bring in soldiers? Because, you know, you're putting young people at risk, and the question is, what is the what will the long-term payoff be? They would like to draw in uh, soldiers into, into Gaza. They're prepared for them. They have things booby-trapped. They have taken steps. And while Israel has the strength to do, if they want to take it back, they could, or if they want to, but it'd be at a, at a great cost. So it's, it's, it isn't so easy to do what people, the armchair generals, you know, sit back and dictate what uh, what outcomes they think that or, or strategies they think uh, should be taken. Sometimes there may be mis- mistakes made, but it is a far more complex situation. And you see that they don't care what you bomb. They don't care if you, you know, bring economic life to a standstill. It's almost there anyway. And the PA has cut off the funding to them. The PA is the one that, that was demanding restrictions on, on assistance going in. Israel continued to provide it. So the the decision regarding Ramadan was not Israel's. Did you see that? I, I know we're not supposed to talk about the New York Times, but give me this break for a second. Did, did, did you see the David Halfinger article about why Israel and Gaza keep fighting? Yeah, well, why can't we talk about the New York Times? It's terrible and people shouldn't buy it.
Right. <laughs> exactly why I'm supposed to avoid talking about it. But nonetheless, did you think if you saw that article, did you think that analysis was ridiculous in terms of why it's it's to the benefit of Benjamin Netanyahu to keep going through these, you know, uh, these fighting against the enemy exercises? Anybody who thinks the prime minister of Israel wants to see the demonstrations outside their homes from the families of, of uh, the, those who have perished or were wounded. If he thinks that anybody, any prime minister of Israel, as Rabin once said in the most moving remarks uh, that I ever heard from a prime minister and had everybody, including himself, in tears when he talked about what it's like to meet the families and, and uh, have to go out in the morning and see them standing outside even if it's not a protest against him, but a demonstration of solidarity from the victims. When you look at the 23,000 who gave their lives to remind us of the cost of the Jewish state, and Yom HaShoah, as somebody pointed out, which reminds us of the cost of not having a Jewish state, right. that the, the no prime minister will take lightly the decision. And I don't think, ultimately, it's a political decision. I think it's a complex uh, of factors that they have to take into account if an invasion is necessary, they would do it. They, do they have the capacity to do it? Yes. Did they order up tanks? Yes. Did they want to go in? No. Because they know that, that going into Gaza is, is, uh, will be very costly, and, the, um, and, and the, it's very easy to make suggestions when you're not the one who has to sign the order. So if we're going to uh, write letters to the Times about syndicated political cartoons, we should write letters about David Halpinger as well. Yes, it was protested in the meeting this week uh, with um, the leaders, but it's not just the one instance. It's a constant, it's not right. just, a, it's not editorial page alone. It's the repertorial pages, which completely distort and misrepresent. And when they publish stories, not just in the Times, uh, like the one about the woman being killed, you, you don't see people writing apologies and saying, well, we're sorry, Israel, we didn't mean to malign you. And accuse you of killing a woman and her baby. And, you know, th th there's never the kind of um, uh, rectification afterwards. And while some papers, like the, the cartoon issue, obviously got so much attention, and, and but they published another cartoon a couple of days later that was also offensive. So it didn't get that deep into the psyche of people that, uh, that, it, that it would stop. And I don't think that we're going to see it stop. They'll be more careful perhaps for, for a while. But the coverage itself remains so distorted. If you ask people, as we have, they believe that Israel is still the occupying power of Gaza. Uh, do you think the prime minister's indictment hearing is going to be delayed? I know that he put in that his lawyers put in that request to the attorney general. It's scheduled right now for July the tenth. Yeah, I, that's an internal decision that will be made there. There's a lot of pressure both ways, you know, to get it going. And others are saying you should not doing this to a sitting prime minister like the president can not be indicted, according to many legal interpretations. So um, it's it is possible. But just uh, we're postponing the inevitable that at some point they will they will have to begin the trials. I think it's a terrible diversion from uh, a lot of the issues that Israel has to con confront today, uh, both the ones that, that we talked about. And, you know, we see the, the challenges here. The, uh, Rashida Tlaib, the congresswoman, is now going to take a congressional junket to the, to the occupied territories. And supposedly the Humpty Dumpty Foundation is providing money. And there are people in there who I think, um, I hope, will, will rise up against this, this decision if it is true. Um, 
but the the um, uh, the prime minister being so his attention being diverted to to the legal issues. Nobody's saying he should be above the law, and I don't think I think ultimately he has to be held to account for whatever the charges are. Um, but right now, Israel needs to focus on, on a situation in Jordan, which is getting worse and worse. They admitted, acknowledged what I spoke about a week ago or so about the plot on King Abdullah. Right. And um, the army came out in support of him. But we know there are other elements that didn't. There are a lot of people getting fired. Uh, the economic conditions are very difficult, and their concern is that at the end of Ramadan, next Rosh Chodesh, we will see again the demonstrations which are being directed against the king, which is very unusual, will will resume. And we have uh, difficult situations in many of the Arab countries around Israel, and the, the danger of uh, you know another domino effect, um, um, like the, quote, Arab Spring, which was not a sp- Arab Spring at all, uh, we see the austerity in in uh, Jordan, so he has lots of problems to be looking at, and especially with Iran moving uh, ballistic missiles by boat into the Persian Gulf. That the threats of an action against American interests or America's allies, which certainly have to include uh, Israel, um, and as they become perhaps more desperate with the economic condition, the sanctions being ratcheted up again against metal imports and, and related uh, items, and to see the the, um, uh, the number of barrels that they're exporting drop, even though it won't go to zero, and they still found all sorts of end runs again around the, some of the sanctions by transferring them from one boat to another and turning off the transponders so we can trace where the boats are. But still, the drop is, is precipitous, and, and the economic conditions there are uh, have dropped greatly. They replaced the head of the IRGC. There are other things that are taking place that uh, I think uh, indicate that the internal situation is, is very unstable. And for that, they may strike out. So the prime minister has to look at all these circumstances and situations and sustaining Israel's economic growth and looking at the, at the defense situation north-south East and West, it, you know, people don't realize it's a little country. It has limited resources. It's not, you know, great power. Iran has 10 times the population of Israel. And, um, you know, with, with a strong military and with uh, and no limits in terms of using the Internet, using uh, sabotage, cyber warfare, all these things that are, are used today. And it's against the United States as well, and it's against the Europeans that we see um, uh, the expansion of these things, which can affect the economy and can have a devastating impact. Have they or any of their proxies actually carried out any targeted attacks against U.S. forces or U.S. presence in the Middle East at this point? Or they They've harassed them, and uh, certainly during the last year, the Obama administration a lot, and then uh, it the... Uh, the Trump administration put down the markers pretty strongly, and it it is less so. But they have they run havoc with these fast uh, boats that they run around our, our aircraft carriers. They send pictures of the bottom of an aircraft carrier that, because they have these little submarines also in the Gulf. So there have been acts of of uh, harassment and um, challenges, but no, they did not. Uh, carry out an uh, all-out attack, but they are fighting our troops in, in in Yemen and in Iraq, and they're responsible for some of the attacks in the past against uh, our troops there. We have 5,600 troops in Iraq and 2,000 still in Syria, 
and we're supporting the um, the efforts in Yemen of led by Saudi Arabia and the UAE. And I think I saw this in, um, I, I mean, it was in the Daily Alert. I just don't know if it was, the, I think it was the Wall Street Journal. I'm not sure. But basically, Iran is telling Europe, because of the JCPOA, the uh, Iran nuclear deal, um, uh, Iran is saying that it is monitoring European actions over the next 60 days, and it's time for European countries to, quote, fulfill their commitments, I assume they mean on behalf of Iran. Uh, what position of strength are they in against the EU or European countries to speak the way they are? Well, the European countries, first of all, they, some of them still do a lot of business with um, with Iran in contradiction to the um, um, sanctions, although many European companies, in fact, most big European companies have pulled out of Iran, and the Iranians are angry at the Europeans because they said they would create an alternative system, including to SWIFT, you know, the banking, right. the money transfers in the banks, et cetera, which they have not been able to do. And the, uh, they've not countered now the latest round, the, the, the sanctions, especially the latest round, which is trying to bring to zero the exports. It won't, but it will have further damaging effect with countries um, uh, dropping out. They, uh, they can threaten the European countries with, uh, with uh, violence within their countries, that they can instigate stuff. They, they certainly have them intimidated uh, because there's no... A rational reason why the uh, Europeans um, want to see the continuation. The, J- the Iranians this week announced that they're going to enrich more uranium. They're not going to ex- uh, export the uh, spent uranium that was used in for medical isotopes and other things that they are supposed to send out to surplus. And they say they're not going to do that, and nor the heavy water. And they're telling that in the end of the 60 days they're going to resume production. They're threatening them all the time. Uh, the the Europeans are still somehow wed to the JCPOA as it is. Um, even those who supported it, many of them are now calling for it to be rewritten and revised. The administration has offered talks to the Iranians. Iranians uh, claim that they are re- rejecting it. I believe that they really do want to have. Um, and negotiations, but they're trying to find a face-saving way. You see Zarif and others making um, uh, making statements, but but ultimately saying we're not going to quit the JCPOA, even though others in the in the Iranian hierarchy have uh, have, have claimed that they would. So they they're they're keeping their low enriched uranium. We believe that they're opening or reopening some of the facilities that they had claimed they destroyed and did not destroy. What Bolton said in, in moving, announcing the move of the Lincoln Group, the carrier group, to the Persian Gulf, that this is a, a response to uh, troubling and escalatory indications and warnings. There's reports that Israel gave them warnings of a planned Iranian action, and so did others, and U.S. intelligence itself seems to feel that there would be an attack on the U.S. or Gulf allies or someone else. Um, it's not clear what it was. I don't know what what the specific target would have been. We know what they're doing in Yemen and elsewhere. So um, this is a very strong warning, most likely uh, to keep the Straits of Hormuz open and and prevent any effort on their part to narrow it or to close it, which uh, I don't believe that they would they would really go that far. A uh, t- couple of quick things. Is this story true that uh, Jabril Rajoub was, was flown to Tel Aviv for emergency surgery at the same time he... Uh, was still stepping up from his hospital room the effort to keep the Spanish uh, soccer team out of Israel? 
I didn't see that he was flown in, but it's very likely, it's certainly true that they send Hamas leadership and others send their, their families to be treated in Israel. It's unbelievable. And finally, there's never been, and, uh, you know, excuse my ignorance, the Muslim Brotherhood has never been designated by the U.S. as a terrorist group? No, this is a foreign ter- terrorist or organization. Um, this would impose additional sanctions against the Muslim Brotherhood. Hmm. Uh, as you know, some of the European countries have already have done it. There is um, a reluctance because they're saying that this is really a network of organizations, so you don't issue a blanket. You've got to go after the components. Um, but we have for too long tolerated now. Some people believe that CC, when he was here, asked the United States to do it. There are some who say that they should be designated as a hate organization and, and come under the hate crimes acts for what they're doing here in the country. And again, we haven't even had a chance to talk about the exponential growth of, of these activities, uh, hostile activities against uh, Israel, against Jews, and on, especially on campus and in communities, and the role that these organizations play in fomenting it, including the BDS movement uh, it, itself. So, um, and uh, this, the, the exposure of the, by the way, of the Labor Party, 15,000 documents, screenshots of anti-Semitic stuff that was collected over the last two years, um, for those who who question whether the how serious this this is, so the move now is to to designate. I'm not sure that it will actually happen in the fulsome way that we would like, but but perhaps some limited action uh, against them. Amazing. Uh, I thank you. We will reconvene next week. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and thanks for joining us. Have a great Shabbos, and uh, wish everybody a, a, a wonderful Shabbos, and to keep in mind the importance of Israel and talk about it with your families and uh, over this these coming days. Well said. Malcolm Holine is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Day 20 in the counting of the Omer. If you got the count last night, make sure to do so sometime today. Candle lighting 741 in New York. Many synagogues begin earlier. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Sunday is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms in our audience. As we go to Rabbi Yudin, please keep in mind Shimon Simcha ben Panina Yehudis. Again, that's Shimon Simcha ben Panina Yehudis for Rafur Shlema. And of course, we thank you this time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Yudin, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kedoshim. Parshas Kedoshim is one of the shortest parshios in the Torah, with only 64 psukim, and yet within these 64 psukim, there are no less than 51 mitzvos according to the Chinuch. There are 13 positive mitzvos and 38 restrictions within the 51. Interestingly, the parsha begins not with the usual Hashem speaking to Moshe, but rather Hashem telling Moshe that he should speak to Kol Adas B'nei Yisrael. And Rashi tells us that Parsha's Kedoshim was said by 
with the entire nation gathered because rov gufe Torah tuluyamba, because the majority or not majority of the 613, but major concepts, as the Ramban points out, the Aseris Hadibros are found in Parshas Kedoshim, not exactly in the manner in which they appear in Parshas Yisro and for Eschanan, but you'll have a good time. Look in the Ramban, and it'll tell you where you have the Aseris Hadibros. I'd like to point out, interestingly, that a good number of the Psukim conclude with the expression, the words, Ani Hashem. I'd like to start with the famous Pasuk of, this is in chapter 19, Pasuk 18. If you'd like to bring the Chumash to the table, let's take a look together. The Torah says, a challenging Pasuk, Lo Sikom V'lo Sitor Ez Amecha. Literally, you shall not take revenge, nor shall you bear a grudge against the members of your people, but rather, V'yohavta L'reachot Kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself, Ani Hashem, I am God. Now, Basically, what the Pasuk is saying in a very literal sense is, when Ruvain asks of Shimon, could he please borrow something? And Shimon says no. And next week, when Shimon asks Ruvain, could he borrow something? So Ruvain says, look, I asked you, and you said no. And now you're asking me, and I'm going to say no. That is literally... um, taking revenge, and if the Torah was talking to seven and eight-year-olds, I'd have no problem. But we're talking about adults, and when adults act like children, oh my goodness. So we have to answer in a minute, how can the Torah ask this of us? And the second prohibition of Lositor is that when Ruven asked, Shimon said no. And when Shimon asks the next week, Reuven says, sure. But then he gives him that zetz. And he says, I'm not like you. You didn't lend me, but I am lending you. And that's the grudge. So I'd like to ask a basic question. How can the Torah ask of us? Meaning, if you're nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. But if you're not nice to me, how can the Torah expect me to be nice to you. So you'll take a look in the Chinuch, in Mitzvah, Reish Mem Aleph, 241, and he says a fantastic idea. And that is, when Reuven asked Shimon and Shimon said no, Shimon will have to give an accounting upstairs to Hashem why he said no. But the bottom line is, do you know why Shimon is saying no? Because Hashem doesn't want him to have it. So Reuven can't be angry at Shimon because Shimon is only the vehicle that Hashem has acted. Now that's a very powerful idea. I'd like to suggest another possibility. How can the Torah tell us that we are to be nice 
even to those who are not nice to us? Let's continue the Pasuk. There's a Sefer called Sefer Habris, written by Rav Pinchas Horowitz, not the Hafla'ah. And in that chapter, chapter in that Sefer, Sefer Habris, chapter 18, on Ahavas Reim, he writes the following interesting idea, that the Torah doesn't say, V'yohavto l'chaveirecha kamolcha, V'yohavto liyedidcha kamolcha. It uses the word reya, and in the word reya comes, is found that small word ra, which means bad. V'yohavto you are to love even the one who does bad to you. How could that be? So the Pesach concludes, Ani Hashem, act like me, emulate me. What does that mean? If you take a look at the beginning of the Sefer Tomer Dvora, think about it. A Ganov is about to steal he stretches out his hand to take that which is not his. Really, what should happen at that time? His hand should freeze, like the hand of Yeruvah ben Nevat when the Navi comes and, the, uh, and castigates him. And Yeruvah says, seize him, and he stretches out his arm, and his arm is paralyzed. That should happen to the Ganav as well. And the fact that it doesn't happen, Hashem is being good to man, even when man is not being, forgive me, good to Hashem. So, Ani Hashem, we are to learn from and emulate Hashem. As Hashem is good even to those who, forgive me, are not good to Him, so too we are to be. You have to reacha, even the one that extends ra to you. Very interesting, that Ani Hashem. I'd like to present a second one, and that is in further in the parsha, where the Torah says that this is in that same chapter, Pasuk Lamid Beis, Pasuk 32, says the Torah. Literally, before an old person, you shall rise and you shall honor a Talmud Chacham, a Zokain, a sage. And the Torah goes on to say, I'm warning you, you are to fear Hashem, meaning that you are going to mach nishvisendik. You're going to make believe that you didn't see him. And therefore, if you didn't see him, you don't have to extend kavod to him. Therefore, says the Torah, because, and I quote Rashi, This is literally up to you and your heart, She'ein makir bo elohu. You're the only one that knows if you saw him or not. And excuse me, v'yoreisam elokecha, Hashem knows. And how does the Pesach conclude? Ani Hashem. 
I am God. So once again, says the Medrash, something very, very interesting. I am God, Ani Hashem, I am the first one who fulfilled this mitzvah as I stood for Avraham when he did the bris milah. And continues Chazal, Hashem says, I am the oldest, therefore I am anxious for the way that you treat those that share this divine quality with me. All right? Because the attitude that you show to the aged reflects your attitude to the eternal as well. The idea being, Ani Hashem, just like in the case of Ani Hashem, emulate Hashem, here too, emulate Hashem, who gives honor and kavod to the elderly. There is a third place in the parsha where we are, according to our rabbis, asked to emulate the ways of Hashem. And that is, the Torah tells us that when you come into Eretz Yisrael, and this is in the beginning of chapter, uh, I'm sorry, beginning of Shlishi, in chapter 19, Pasuk Chav Gimel, what does the Torah say? When you come into the land, you shall plant fruit trees. Okay? Now, the Medrash, Rabbah, Vayikra Rabbah, Perek Chof Hei, Pasuk, I'm sorry, Paragraph Gimel has a very interesting understanding of the Pasuk that says, come on, in Devarim Yud Gimel, Acharei Hashem Elokeichem Telechu, you shall emulate God, asks Reb Yehuda, Reb Simon, V'chi Efshel Lebaso V'dam, L'Haloch Achar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can man emulate God, right? After all, it's written regarding Hashem that He is Eish Ochla, okay, a consuming fire. So listen to this, and I quote, Ela, Metchilas Briyoso Shel Olam, at the very beginning of creation, Lo Nisasek HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God Himself was preoccupied, Ela Bimata, he was preoccupied with planting. God personally planted the trees in Gan Eden. Afatem continues the Medrash. So too, when you come into the land, So too, you should emulate me and you should plant, as it's written in this week's parsha, Kisavo Oretz, when you come to the land, Unetatem. A very powerful idea. Once again, the emulation of Hashem. Regarding Eretz Yisrael, the Torah tells us 
in Parshas Ekev, at the very end of Ekev. Tell me about Eretz Yisrael. Listen carefully. Eretz, Asher Hashem Alokecha Doresh Osa, a land that Hashem seeks out. He's concerned about it. Tomid Enei Hashem Alokecha Bo, constantly are the eyes of Hashem, your God, upon it, Mereshis Hashana, Biarach Rishana, from the beginning of the year till the end of the year. I really think that Beli Ayin Hara, if one looks and sees as to what's happening in Eretz Yisrael, for whose safety and peace we pray all the time, but one could see but the phenomenal success that the whole world recognizes, the the entire world recognizes the success that comes out of Eretz Yisrael as Hashem is so concerned, so too we must be concerned. And therefore, Slow down in your davening. And when you get to the bracha of the Yerushalayim Ircha, Berachamim Toshuv, say it more slowly. Esemach Tovar Avducha, say it more slowly. Vesechazena Eneinu, Bishuv Cholitzion Berachamim, say it more slowly. And the idea is we should support. Eretz Yisrael as much as we can, monetarily and begufo, with your body itself. If you can't yet go on Aliyah, then visit as often as possible because what you are doing in showing your love and concern for Eretz Yisrael is once again emulating HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The parsha begins, Kedoshim Tiyu, understood by our rabbis to live a special lifestyle. And therefore, included in this lifestyle is emulating Hashem. We emulating Him by being able to forgive and work with even those who are not so nice to us by elder, by honoring the elderly, and equally by showing our love and support for Eretz Yisrael. Shabbat Shalom to all. Leola
JM in the AM with uh, Miami from around the campfire. Mimkomcha. Gershon Varoba before that with Mimkomcha. Friday morning broadcast on this JM in the AM. Erev Shabbos. Sunday's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there, including the listener who just spent a lot of time on the phone with me in a conversation that I really appreciate, although she probably does not believe that. Um, also, to that listener, I rarely do this, speak to someone specific without them being on the air with me. Uh, to that listener, um, I, I think we got disconnected because I'd asked you to hold so I can get a different call, and um, uh, you had hung up when I got back to you, so I'm assuming that you thought I hung up on you. In fact, I did not. I would have liked to have concluded the conversation in a much more, um, in a much more, in a different manner, let's put it that way. Uh, but I greatly appreciate the call. The comment, the call was about the um, comments I made this morning regarding our rabbinic leadership and those who are silent when it comes to issues like this uh, threatening of a cautious organization to take away their supervision from a a restaurant in Lakewood that flew the Israeli flag yesterday. And my comments, and I think if you listen to the recording that you will uh, hear it, my comments were against one group of people, and that was the rabbinic leaders who, are, who seem to conveniently always be silent when it comes to this stuff. Um, so anyway... I did very much appreciate the call, and um, I hope uh, I hope uh, you reconnect because the listeners like you are very important to have in our audience, to say the least. Erev Shabbos Parshas Kedoshim with Candelani at 741. Kedoshim outside of Israel, uh, only outside of Israel do we read Kedoshim this week. Candelani in New York, 741. Many synagogues begin early. Make sure uh, you know when things start where you are. Uh, keep that in mind because a lot of people start Shabbos early, uh, to say the least. Eighth day is next. Sphere format Friday at JM in the AM. Mishar so shoyalim shoyalim zelozer. I am a coin kevoy doi. Mishar I 
Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there as we get set to celebrate Mother's Day this coming uh, Sunday. And uh, Matas, of course, will be uh, taking care of your Jewish radio needs Sunday morning from 7 until 9 with JM Sunday. Saturday night, Seagull with Avrami tomorrow night. Kedem presentation of the Erev Shabbos music mix. That happens all day long, all the way until candlelighting time. Harry Rothenberg with a video blog of uh, Parshas Kedoshim. And, of course, Naomi Nachman is coming up next with Table for Two at the Nachum Single Network. The sun is going down. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Say good job is Cause all your work is done I'm Gonna spend a day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Spend the day. 
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and NachumSingle.com, and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. I thank those of you who, um, at some point this week, went ahead and um, and joined our fundraising effort for uh, uh, the NachumSingle Network and JM and the AM. Those of you who sent back your envelopes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Those of you who um, went on the web at fjbunity.org, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please do so over the weekend if you haven't done so yet. Go to fjbunity.org and support our spring 2019 campaign. Plenty more on Monday and, of course, all through the weekend. Great programming. Make sure to be tuned in. Naomi Nachman is next with Table for Two. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend. Until Monday, Nachman Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.